uh, our morning together is having a, uh, a vision for biblical manhood. And um, the way I thought I'd start out this morning is some of you know me and some of you don't know me, but I thought I would kind of tell you a little bit about myself and how I got a vision for biblical manhood or how I got a vision for manhood, not necessarily biblical. But um, I grew up in a place called Modesto, California. Uh, it's a terrible place. Don't ever go there. <laughs> But I grew up in Modesto, California. I'm one of three. I have two sisters. And my dad was uh, the leader of our home. Uh, My dad started out at 18 asking my mom at 14 to marry him. Uh, They got married. By the time my mom was 18, we were all out of the house. But my dad started as a janitor with the phone company. He worked his way up uh, in the phone company. It became a lead technician and finally going out on his own and starting his own business. Oftentimes on Saturdays or um, on during the summer days, my dad would have me tag along with him and I would get to watch him. I got to watch him engage with people. I got to watch him work. Uh, I got to watch my dad. Uh, and so I learned some really good work ethics from my dad. My dad was a man who wasn't to be messed with. He was very strict. He was not to be dis- disrespected in any way, shape or form. But here's what my dad used to tell me. My dad used to say to me is, I'm the king. I married a queen, and she is looking after my castle. So if the queen tells you to clean your room, then you are a servant, so you need to clean your room. And he said to me, but son, one day you will be a queen, a king. (laughs) One day, thank God, he never said that. Son, one day you will be a king. One day you will be a king, and you will have a queen, and then you will have little servants who will look after your castle. Uh, and so I shared that vision with Meg, and she still said yes. And so on Monday we'll be married 24 years. But that is how my. Uh, View of biblical, uh, my view of manhood started, but I want you to notice what it was. It was one day I'll be a king, I'll get a queen, and I'll work. My wife will look after our home and kids. This is what a man does. This is what defines a man. He's a leader. He's a worker. He's a lover of a queen. He's a provider. And so what I wanted to ask you this morning is what has informed your understanding of manhood? Uh, Not all of us have had dads in our lives. Um, Some of us may have had our pops teach us things. Uh, Perhaps it's actually, um, you know, culture who's informed us of what manhood is. Or perhaps it's TV or movies. Who is it that's informed you of what it is to be a man? You see, my concern is, is that understanding manhood can often be based not on what God says, but on what we've seen, on what we've heard, or what culture tells us. So men, there are some really great things that we can learn from culture by observing culture. But relying on culture to inform you of masculinity or manhood, man, I would say that is so dangerous. That is not the place that to get your information about manhood. So where do we go then? And I would say to you men, this is God's living and active word. 
It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will inform you. It will change you. You know, the Bible has so much to say about masculinity. I mean, in Genesis 1-3, to we learn that God is the creator. He's the maker. He's the maker of all things. He made and formed man and woman. That was his design. He formed man the way he is, with all his bits, with all his fluids. That is God's idea. The way he's made a woman with all her hormones and all her emotions and all her beautiful curves and twists. and That is God's design. He made it. And he knows what it is to be fully man. And he knows what it is to be fully woman. How do I know that? Because if you look at Psalm 139, does it not say that he knit us together in our mother's wombs? He know us, knows us completely well. He knows the very numbers of hairs on our head. He knows what's wrong with our systems. He knows us. He knows everything about his creation. And he hasn't left us uninformed regarding his creation or how he wants us to live. You see, the Bible gives us, in fact, wonderful examples of godly men and women. Uh, All throughout Hebrews 11, we see these men of faith and these women of faith who trusted and obeyed God. I mean, it is possible for a creation to know its creator and to obey it and be faithful to its creator. Would it be that we be men who understands what God says and be faithful and obey him? You know, but there is only one true example. And that's who I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at Jesus. But in order to do that, we're going to use a man by the name of King David to get us there. King David, man, he was a man's man. He was a warrior. He was a shepherd boy. He was a musician. He was a lover. He had a lot of wives. He had a lot of wealth. Uh, He had a lot of mother-in-laws. But, I mean, David was a man's man. And, you know, we can learn from David. He was flawed. He was imperfect. But yet he was forgiven, and he was mightily used by God. Because the Bible has a ton to say about manhood, it's my desire It's my desire that you men from Sovereign Grace Church, church that we love, would have a clear vision of what biblical manhood is. And that you would not only have a vision of it, but then you would live it out for the glory of God. So this morning, I'd love for us to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 15 to help us gain this vision of manhood. Here, while you're turning there, here in Psalm 15, David is considering what type of person can sojourn, who can visit or dwell, be in in God's holy hill. So let's read it together. Psalm 15. Verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears in his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Guys, who do we see in Psalm 15 
that what do we see here in Psalm 15 that can help us get a vision for biblical manhood? It seems that these, there are things that God truly values. There are things that God wants to see his sons live out. And so I want to point out five things that God wants us to live uh, to be lived out and valued as his sons. And so very simple message this morning. But the first truth, the first value, the first thing that God loves is truth. God loves truth. Look at verse two. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. How can a man please God? By walking blamelessly and doing what is right and speaking truth in his heart. You know, we usually uh, associate speaking truth with external words, right? So it's speaking out loud. But this verse is actually not talking about that. It's actually exhorting us in the way that we talk to ourselves. So let me ask you a question. Alarm goes off. In your sleep. What's the first thing you hear? Let me tell you what I hear. Depending on your age, I think you're going to hear various things. But here's what I hear. I hear, oh, that hurts. I hear, you got a lot on today. What are you going to do, Patrick? Oh, you forgot to reply to that text, that email. You forgot to respond to one of the kids when they asked you about that. Oh, you didn't pay that. You didn't organize that appointment and you forgot to organize date night. You promised to take the twins out for a drive. You got to do that. Yeah, weren't very gracious to Meg last night when she asked you about your day. You suck, man. Why don't you just lay back down and go to bed? Now, that's what I hear. But here's what I want to point out. Not a word has been uttered out of my mouth, but I have said a whole lot to myself. Is that true? What am I going to do now? What am I going to do? How am I going to act on what I have just told myself or what I've just heard from myself? This is why it is important that we be men who are biblically informed. You see, in Psalm 15, God loves truth. He wants truth to be washing over us. And we see in Scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus reveals himself to Jews who are following him. And he tells them that there is a father of lies and his name is the devil. That's what Jesus informs us. Truth is not from God. It is from the devil. Psalm 119, 160 says this. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God loves truth. But here's my question for you. Why is it important, do you think, that we be men of the word? Men who speak the truth in their hearts. Let me tell you. Because it is the fuel for the type of blameless and right walk that God desires for his sons to walk in. How do you fuel yourselves so that you can walk blameless and right? And when you hear those voices in the morning, is that true? Is that right? 
Psalms 119 verses 1 to 16. I don't know if you've ever camped out in Psalm 119, but I would encourage you to do that. But in these first 16 verses in Psalms 116, we hear how we can do, be men of truth, how we can walk blameless and right. It's this way, guys. It's by fixing your eyes on his commandments. Are you men who fix your eyes on God's commandments? Are you men who are seeking the Lord with your whole heart? Would you be storing up God's word in your hearts? Would you be remembering and meditating on his ways? Can I ask you, what are your fueling practices? You know, dehydration occurs in the body when more water leaves the body than gets into it. As you know, our bodies are made up of 75% of water, but we need to replenish it. Interestingly, our bodies will communicate with us when we are dehydrated. We will get a dry mouth. We'll get lethargic. We'll get constipated. We'll even get headaches. Do you guys have a dehydration of a spiritual body? Are you struggling to walk blamelessly and do what is right? Can I encourage you? Speak truth in your heart and train yourself in the purposes of godliness. That's what Paul tells Timothy. How can you do this? Men, I would encourage you to man up. And I would encourage you to say, I am struggling to hear truth. I am struggling to refuel myself. I need help. Men, sons of God, man up and they humble themselves and they say, help. They cry out to God and they ask for the desire to love truth. Men, that is a vision for biblical manhood, is to be a man who loves truth. God loves truth. So practice truth. Not only does God love truth, we see in verse 3 that God loves self-control. So let's be men who practice self-control. Read verse 3 with me. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. I don't know about you, but I find it uh, a temptation. And sometimes I act on the temptation to just lose it. I get angry. And I want to say things. And this mouth can get me in a lot of trouble. And it has got me in a lot of trouble. You know, I, as some of you know, I, I enjoy watching the Royals. I, I, I don't know why I'm sick in the head, I guess. But uh, the Royals, I enjoy watching them. But, you know, the Royals don't do certain things. They just don't do them. They have protocols that have been set. And you just don't break these protocols these expectations placed on the royals kind of set them apart. They don't act in certain ways because that is actually what commoners do. It sets them apart. Brothers, as sons of the Most High God, we're called as men to do certain things. We're called to live certain ways. And here in Psalm 15, verse 3, we're called to not slander, And we're called to not do evil to our neighbors. Does God love self-control? There are fruits of the flesh and there are fruits of the spirit. And in Galatians, we read about the various uh, fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. 
The fleshly desires, men, are usually against what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And all the works of the flesh are outlined in Galatians. They're products, actually, I think, as I've thought about this, of not exercising self-control and modeling restraint. Let me show you what I mean. In Galatians, um, some of the fruits of the flesh are sexual immorality. Do you not need self-control not to practice sexual immorality? Do you not need self-control to not be impure or uh, act on sensuality or be sensuous? You need self-control so as not to go into fits of anger, into rivalries, into dissensions or divisions. Self-control is required. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23... It says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. God loves men who practice self-control. So practice self-control. Practice it in speech and actions. You know, gossip is a conversation about others that is, is especially negative and hurtful and shaming. These conversations can be held in the office, they can be held in the pub, they can be held at your home. I read a great quote by James Montgomery Boyce and it says this, A person who loves Jesus does not slander others. He does not gossip. Isn't this the chief sin in the church of Jesus Christ today? Aren't too many bold and gossiping about and harming others with their tongues? I'm not speaking here about the unsaved, though they are certainly gossips too. I'm speaking about Christians. I think more damage has been done to the church and its work through gossip, criticism, and slander than by any other single sin. So here I say it. Don't do it. St. Augustine, a church forefather, says this. He took it even further. He had a sign that hung in his dining room, and it read this. He who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. I can find that I can lose my patience so quickly, and I can say things, but God's calling me to live differently. I'm to be a man who practices self-control. And so as it is with the royals, would it be that we are doing things to our friends and family that are building them up? It is not gossip to talk about the evidences of grace that we see in one another. It is not gossip to promote the uh, works of the Spirit in another brother or sister. So would it be, just like the royals, that there are things that we just wouldn't do? Do you have things that you just will not do? Would your family and friends be able to identify, do you know what? He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't slander. He wouldn't lose his temper on the soccer field. He wouldn't lose it with the sports event, at a sporting event. He wouldn't yell at an employee. He just wouldn't do that. That's not like him. Are there areas, men, that you need to grow in and restraining yourself for the glory of King Jesus? God loves self-control. So let's be men who practice self-control. In verse 4a, we see this. We see in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. God loves discernment, men. 
God loves discernment. So let's be men who practice discernment. So what is discernment? Discernment is that ability to make discriminating judgments, to distinguish between and recognize moral implications of different situations and actions, uh, courses of action. That's what discernment is. Discernment includes that ability to kind of weigh up and to assess the moral and spiritual state of individuals, groups, and even movements. In Psalm 119, verse 66, the psalmist asks that the Lord would do this, that the Lord would teach him good judgment and knowledge. Is that something that you kind of have a vision for biblical manhood, that you're actually asking the Lord to help you make good judgments and and to have knowledge, knowledge that's going to protect your family, protect you from things that are going to take you away? Is that a, is that a staple for you? In or have you ever thought about that and having a vision for biblical manhood? Because I want to share something with you. Discernment actually will affect the way that you live. It will affect the way that you live. You know, there are times where I have personally been presented with options. Options about moving somewhere or purchasing something or approving of something. And my mind starts racing and I think, hold on, wait a minute. It's like a machine up here and in here. I'm Rolodexing through my head. Usually, what does God love and what does God hate? I'm usually the guy on the team that's just a little bit slower to act on things. But those around me know that I'm a little bit slower when it comes to working things out. And I think about things just a little bit differently. Because I want to prayerfully discern. I want to discern this matter. I want to weigh it up. I want to prayerfully consider it. So you see, men, the Bible actually warns us that there are nice guys, but there are vile guys. Look at it. In whose eyes a vile person is despised. There are vile people who are selfishly ambitious for their own gain. There are people who are just out for their own interest. Can we discern that? And so we need to be able to we need to be able to to weigh that up. And we also need to be able to discern and those who fear the Lord. And we have a lot of those men in this church. And we thank God for those men. But vile men, we need to be able to discern. So men, I want you to ask the Lord to teach you to have good judgment and knowledge. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to walk around on, on, on uh, uh, being anxious. Because actually having uh, an ability to weigh things up, you actually experience a great freedom. And I'll explain that in a moment. But it will affect the way that you live and the way that you lead your family and the way that you serve your family and friends. Let me show you. Let me just talk to you through four things. Having discernment, it actually it's a, it's a means of protection. You see, we live in a time where a lot of people say a lot of good things. Actually, yesterday uh, uh, I was watching a YouTube clip that my daughter wanted me to watch, and it was about Justin Bieber, uh, who was talking about uh, his encounter. I forwarded on to to Brendan today, but um, Justin Bieber is talking about how he's had this epiphany um, where Jesus is the one who saved him. He couldn't do anything for his own salvation. And he had poor examples. And so his understanding of what it was to be a Christian kind of 
didn't, it didn't work. But all of a sudden now he's understanding, wait, Jesus saves me. Jesus is the actual one that saves me. I can't save myself. He loves me. We live in a time and a place where we've got a lot of voices telling us a lot of different things about who God is. Having discernment means that we have a, a, a we have we're able to understand when somebody is being spiritually deceived. We'll be able to understand doctrine, and we'll be able to stand, understand when or see when people are moving on from the gospel. So discernment, ask for it, ask for knowledge and understanding. It also acts number two. It acts as a means of healing to those that God has put around you. You're able to ask questions and care for others. But you want to ask these questions with a question mark. So you're with somebody and you're having a conversation and they're saying something. They've either moved on from the gospel, they're spiritually deceived. How are you going to uh, pick up, oh, that doesn't sound right. How do you go back to them and ask that question? Not a statement. Don't put an exclamation point after it. Ask it as a question. I think you've moved on from the gospel here. I think perhaps you're not seeing that correctly. I can't see where the Bible says that. So having this discernment and understanding, boy, it's an incredible opportunity for us and our vision for biblical manhood. It also brings a Christian freedom, as I said before uh, to you before. Instead of being enslaved to sort of others or your conscious, uh, your unconscious or um, unbiblical patterns of life, you're, be, you're able... To discern with a gospel clarity. You know, it is so easy for someone to say, you need to homeschool your kids. The Bible says it. And you can go, thank you very much. That's wonderful. I'm glad the Lord's led you to do that. God's not called me to do that. Doesn't mean you're sinning. Doesn't mean you're doing the... There's a freedom. Does that make sense? You can't drink Coke. Hey, you're in trouble. (laughs) There's a freedom. No, the Bible doesn't say that. But somebody with clear conscience and conviction and passion can come and present that to you. Ah, discernment would just say, ah, what does the Bible say? Ah, I'm not sure. So, uh, and finally, it serves as a catalyst for further growth in your own life. You're able to discern where you ought to grow and how you humbly ought to invite others in to share uh, at where you're, uh, you're, where you're struggling. So again, guys, remember, we're just trying to present a vision for biblical manhood. And so, so far, God loves truth, so we want to practice truth. God loves self-control. We want to practice self-control. God loves discernment. So let's ask him to help us be discerning. The, this last part of verse 4 God loves integrity, so let's be men who practice integrity. Look at verse 4 at the end. It says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Do you know what? I love Psalm 15, except for that part. (laughs) I find that challenging. I find that uncomfortable. Following Christ is uncomfortable, men. But men do that. Men understand that this is for our good. You see, integrity in Scripture, it means truth, it means sincerity, it means pure heart or a single eye. Psalm 51, 6 says, God delights when truth reigns in our inmost being. Is truth reigning in your inmost being and are you standing on it even when it hurts? Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't always like truth. Um, I know that I should. I know that I should love it. But I always don't. And I I pursue truth. 
in many times, in many ways, the way that I pursue going to the doctor or going to the dentist, I just rather leave things undisturbed and walk around in ignorance. But we're supposed to be men of truth. So we need to pursue truth. So he's called us uh, to have non-negotiables, men. He's called us to have non-negotiables. And part of the non-negotiables is standing and holding to this word of truth. He's called us to have resolutions even when it hurts, even when you have been asked to compromise. This will happen to you if it hasn't happened already, but it will happen to you in the workplace. It will happen to you in your home. It will happen to you when you're out at the pub with your brothers or your friends. You will be asked to compromise, which then leaves you not being integrous. Let me take you inside my house for a moment. When my oldest boy really, really wanted to play football, he wanted to play on a Sunday. Uh, uh, he wanted to play, and the, the practice and the, pl- and the game was on a Sunday. And we had a very good conversation, and I took my boy aside, and I said, Son, the Lord tells us not to forsake the assembling of gathered assembly. And so I am not... Going to, um, we're not going to, we're not going to play, play um, football. We're not going to sign you up. But I tell you this, son, that if we obey God, He will bless you and our obedience. And so I'm going to say no, son. Now my son went away disappointed. He went away upset. Now other people have different convictions. I'm talking about inside my house. There is freedom if some folks want to play on a Sunday. But I'm telling you, God's truth needs to reign in our hearts. God's truth needs to actually convict us. And so that's what I did. My son wasn't happy with me. We had a bad attitude for a little while. And, you know, he was upset with me. And I understand. It hurt that my son was mad at me because I'm trying to lead him in this way. Another thing. My girls wanted phones. We set an age limit. You can have a phone at this stage. Here's why. This is what our conviction is. They weren't happy with me. But this is what I have done. Now, these aren't things that you need to do. I'm telling you. But what I'm trying to explain that sometimes you hold to truth. Um, There's other things that will happen in your offices, in my own office, in my own workplace. I was asked to lie. I think I shared this with you before. I was asked to lie and go to court and lie. Um, And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because we're not We can't lie. So, men, be Men of integrity. God loves it when truth reigns. So based on what God loves, we're called to stick to God's word, even when it hurts, even when it costs. I lost my job. I lost my job because I wouldn't lie. That can be the consequence. That can be the consequence. But you know what? It's his name. And he's provided for us. Who has modeled this better than anyone else? It's Jesus Christ. When you think about what Jesus has done, even when it hurts, there were so many times he was questioned. There were so many times when he was uh, made, you know, asked to prove himself. What he did was he just was obedient to the Father. Luke 9 tells us when the days drew near, he taken uh, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He went and was obedient even when it hurt. He held to um, the truth of what God had called him to, and, it, and he died for us. Men, what are your non-negotiables? Have you resolved in your heart before the Lord when no one is looking? 
can you be, say, can it be said of you that you're practicing integrity? That is going to help you when you're thinking through a vision, a biblical manhood, integrity. Finally, God loves faithful stewards, so practice faithful stewardship. Verse 5, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. What's being spoken about here isn't really the lending of money to others. I mean, God's word does not discourage you from uh, doing that. The issue here, though, is is that um, a man is lending to get to bring about his own gain uh, at a great cost uh, to others. He's going to lend that money out. You know, it's kind of like a loan shark. <laughs> uh, when I was in America, I used to work for my dad at times, and we used to go work in jails, and they had these guys that would, uh, they were called bail bonds, and um, they would stand around, and, you know, families who wanted to get their, their families out of prison, they were offering you these loans for bail, um, but they were at huge, you know, interest rates, and, I mean, they would suck you in. But anyway, um, that's kind of what this idea is. We're not supposed to be people who are looking to prey on other people's weaknesses and gain for ourselves. We're not one, we're not to be people who take bribes even and especially against innocent people. God loves faithful stewards. Are you a faithful steward, men? Do you put your money before people? Do you place personal gain at the cost of others in your home and in your work and in your church? God loves faithful stewards. So men, let's practice faithful stewardship. You know, in seeking to set a biblical uh, vision for manhood, I hope that you can see from Psalm 15 that God loves men who practice what he loves. What is it that he loves? He loves truth. He loves self-control. He loves discernment. He loves integrity. And he loves faithful steward. But how overwhelming is this list in Psalm 15? Men, men, we must read Psalm 15 remembering that Jesus Christ is the ultimate godly man and we sung about it. He is the ultimate godly man for you and I. This metaphor ultimately means that uh, we're speaking about someone who's been able to sojourn in God's tent to dwell on this holy hill. This idea of Psalm 15 is about being in God's presence. Men, do you long to be in God's presence? Practice these things. You were made to be in a relationship with God. When you think about what we talked about at the beginning, God is the creator and maker of us. He has created and made you. You were made to be in a relationship with him. You were given breath so that you could enjoy communion with him. That's what your purpose is. To enjoy communion. That's why you were created. Whether you acknowledge this or not, the very nature of a human being is that you were made for God. Bottom line, that's what life is about. But who can sojourn with God? Who can dwell? None of us on our own. Can't do this on our own, guys. It's only because of Jesus. The he in this psalm is pointing to Jesus Christ. The psalm points its finger at the Messiah who is to come. And the key element to having a vision for biblical manhood is this. You and I will never achieve acceptance with God based on our own righteousness. We can't do it. I can't do it. I failed over and over again. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake God made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Men, Christ is your righteousness. He lived on our behalf. Therefore, every moment of righteousness, every good choice, every spoken right word, every godly decision, every moment of righteous encounter that was lived by Christ is for you. It's for you and you and you. All those things he did perfectly was so that we could be purchased by Jesus Christ. And the way we run this race is by following the perfect man. Following Jesus Christ, the righteous one, 1 John 2.2. And walking in the same way in which he walked. So men, a vision for biblical manhood is loving what God loves and putting them into practice. Please, men, be men of the word. Love what God loves. So let's cry out for more grace, remembering that we have a great high priest who made us and understands us. Amen? Amen. What I'd like to do, we've got about 20 minutes. And what I thought would be an appropriate way to finish is I'd love for you guys to get in groups. If you're in your gospel community groups or your growth groups, do that. If you don't have a few guys with you, you know, if you don't have some of your group with you, join in with somebody else. But I want you to think about these two questions. If a vision of biblical masculinity or manhood is evidenced by loving truth, self-control, discernment, integrity, and faithful stewarding, how are you going? Where can you thank God by his grace? He's given you this. Or where do you need to cry out to God for grace? And secondly, share one practice that you sense the Lord stirring you to grow in and perhaps think about what actions you're going to take to grow in this practice. What are you going to do? All right. So um, and then when you guys are finished, pray for one another. And then um, we'll see you tomorrow at church at 10 o'clock um, or 1030. Well, come at 10 and enjoy a coffee. <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming, man. Really appreciate it. So go ahead and grab it in your equipment.